With no fees or minimums, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and there's Jerry over there. And I just want to say this is Stuff You Should Know, the Chuck's Birthday Edition. Hey. Happy birthday, Chuck. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so back to it. <laughs> yeah, we got a, uh, I got approval from Josh to do a special front-loaded listener mail. I'm a little tense about this. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> really? <laughs> you were like, "Oh, it's his birthday. I got to do it." Yeah, I had to give in. Uh, for those of you who don't know, <laughs> at the end of the podcast, some people just switch it off when you start your little uh, gobbledygook at the end. But we read mail from listeners, which can be informative and instructive and fun and heartwarming and sad, mm-hmm. and they're really good. So uh, you've been missing out if you don't listen through to those. But uh, I'm going to do one here at the front because this just came in as sheer coincidence that it happened to dovetail with today's topic. Yeah. So while Alex Lash here of uh, New Zealand did not suggest this uh, topic such that we took the suggestion, Ooh, we were already doing it. Nice legalese there. Yeah. You sounded like a mobster trying to cite <laughs> legal stuff. Uh, so here we go from Alex. Uh, hey, guys, following up on the National Park app. I'd like to suggest you complete the trifecta and do dark sky reserves mm-hmm. and marine reserves. Uh, I'm from New Zealand. My dad played a part in the formation of our uh, own dark sky reserve in the McKinsey Basin. It's a joint effort between uh, the local uh, Maori iwi. I'm probably just mispronouncing everything. Uh, Takapo Tourism, uh, which is the town, mm-hmm. and the University of Canterbury, who ran the Mount John Observatory in the area. Uh, My dad was head of physics and astronomy at the university at the time. It is a truly life-altering experience to look up and see a sky lit brilliant by the Milky Way with no light pollution. And in Takapo, you can do a tour uh, to look through some of the telescopes for a better view. And this is from Alex Lash, and he's attached a picture of of a photo that his friend took of the night sky with the observatory in the foreground. And he was like, there is no special camera. It's just mounted on a tripod to leave that exposure open for a long time. Mm-hmm. And brother, it is, uh, you should check out this email from Alex. It is unbelievably gorgeous. And we forget what is up there in the sky when you live uh, in, in most places in the world. Yeah. I mean, they say that in the U.S. and Europe, 99% of us live in light-polluted skies that are so light-polluted that we can't see 
like the Milky Way. You just can't see it. It's there. We yeah. just can't see it because of all the light that we put out. And so, yeah, so that is an amazing photo. So to see something like that in person, it, it really kind of, and to realize that it's out there, it makes you kind of sad. But at the same time, it makes me very determined to go somewhere and see yeah. it. Unfortunately, I've been looking around. There's not a lot of places that I want to go anyway. So it's going to have to be a special <laughs> trip. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it is, you know, occasionally when I have gotten out to the desert or out in the middle of the ocean uh, on, mm-hmm. on the one cruise ship place. I went on. Yeah. Uh, and you see those stars. It is a reminder. It's like those things are always up there. Yeah. And so we get to see so little of that in the city. Uh, I mean, you're lucky if you get a smattering of stars if you live near a city on any given night. Yeah, no, it's definitely true. And like sky glow in and of itself, if you don't stop and think about what it is, it can be kind of beautiful in a weird way. It makes you feel like you're alive and connected to everybody who's alive in that city right then, weirdly. Or it does for me, I should say. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. But, but, when you, but when you do stop and think about what it is, it, it can make you pretty sad. And then when you do see something, like you get like just a taste of what the night sky is supposed to look like. Like, Chuck, in a truly like dark night, like a night sky that isn't polluted with mm-hmm. light, like Venus and Jupiter are so bright they can yeah. make you cast a shadow. That's how bright they get. The Milky Way does Amazing. too. Like you can cast a shadow from Venus and Jupiter. It's just mind-boggling to think of. You can't even see Jupiter. Maybe you see Venus, like if you're lucky around a city. But like you said, smattering of stars and some sky glow is basically what you get. So I think the thing that really kind of makes me feel like, man, we were so close, was up until even like 60, 70, 100 years ago, like, yeah. you didn't have to go very far from a place like Atlanta or New York or Boston or, you know, wherever, any city, to to go find something like this. Like, maybe just drive out beyond the city limits here or there. Um, but today, we've been increasing our artificial lighting even faster than our, pollu- our population's been growing. And so, it's gotten to this point now where we've lost a lot. And there's some people saying, hey, not only are we losing stuff, we're actually gaining all sorts of negativity, too, that we need to start addressing. And that is the upshot of light pollution. It really does stand as a type of pollution when you dig into it. Yeah, and this is one where we're going to, you know, arm you with some information, uh, maybe gently remind you about some best practices without trying to be too preachy about what what you do at your own home. Uh, But you know, it's not just skyscrapers and, and big city stuff. It's the individual human's home that has far too much light pointing up at the sky these days. And it all adds up. It does. And um, a significant portion of it is wasted. If you start looking at um, light pollution, uh, I guess, warning people. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, if you start hanging out with that crowd— you'll find that they also very frequently say, hey, you can save a lot of fossil fuel emissions and a lot of money on electricity if you just use sensible lighting that doesn't pollute. Yeah. So let's talk about the history of it a little bit. Because like I was saying, it's not a very old problem that we face, but it's really kind of grown by leaps and bounds in recent years. Yeah, and big thanks to Livia for help with this one. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think this is kind of right up her alley. Uh, She points out that, you know, astronomers obviously were some of the very first people to say, hey, we've got a problem going on. Mm -hmm. And this was in the late 19th century. 
there was an astronomer named uh, Giovanni Schiaparelli. Yeah. Who uh, talked about coal smoke, a problem in and of itself, and, quote, the abuse of electric lights, end quote, <laughs> that were basically wrecking uh, Giovanni's view from uh, the observatory in Italy there at Brera, I guess in Brera, but the Brera Astronomical Observatory. It's in Milan, actually. So part oh, of is? the problem was that Schiaparelli was too cool to take his sunglasses off. <laughs> so he was not exactly like a, um, a a reporter you could rely on. Right. Unreliable narrator in Gucci sunglasses. Yeah, I've noticed, like, I've I've gotten to this weird point in my life, Chuck, where rather than use the word I'm looking for, I use five different words that are clumsily strung together that kind of get across what I'm trying to say. You've gotten to this point? <laughs> <laughs> I, okay, I feel like it's stepped up recently. Okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I need a little more perspective on myself to be thinking about how I be. No, don't. you don't need to think about that any more than you already do. Okay. So uh, astronomers were among the first. There were also uh, authors. Uh, Olivia points out there was an, a naturalist and author named Henry Beston, mm-hmm. who has a great quote. It's kind of sad. Uh, this was in 1928, mind you. Uh, With lights and ever more lights— we drive the holiness of night back to the forest and the sea. Today's civilization is full of people who have not the slightest notion of the character or the poetry of night who have never even seen night. Yeah. 1928. Yeah. And when you take those people out into the night, they go, what was that? Who's that? Who's there? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my flashlight? So things really kind of got going. Like, like people people were aware, like, there's there's all sorts of light pollution going on. Um, all you have to do is try to get some sleep in a, in a city where there's tons of lights on to understand light pollution and to have it affect you. So it's not like people didn't realize there were issues with overuse of artificial lights along the way. But it wasn't until the 50s that anybody actually started to do something about it. Which if you stop and think about it, if if really we started to run into this problem around the beginning of the 20th century, less than half a century later, um, people were already moving to address it. And the whole thing started in Arizona, thanks to a richy rich astronomer, Percival Lowell, who had <laughs> built um, an observatory, a great Lowell observatory out there um, near, uh, was it Flagstaff, I believe? Yeah, near the Grand Canyon. Yeah, and... Um, it was a great space at the time when he built it in 1894, but by the time I think the 1950s rolled around, when they were looking to expand, they're like, already Flagstaff is just too bright for our telescope. What are we going to do? Well, and they said, and this is what all observatories basically had to do, is move out even further. Mm-hmm. So they moved out about 12 miles southeast of the city. Uh, but then, even then, they were like, you know, at some point, this is going to be a problem as well because of the way that humans just expand their footprint with suburbs and exurbs. And so let's actually do something about it. And so the Flagstaff City Council is a sort of one of the first measures in the United States on light pollution, banned the searchlights. When you grew up in the 70s and 80s, you remember this. Yeah. You don't, see him, you don't see him anymore, which I guess this is why. I've seen it as recently in the last, like, 10 or 15 years. Oh, really? Yeah. I haven't seen one in a—and I didn't even remember them until this article. But uh, when a big business would open up, or just any business <laughs> that could afford to hire spotlights, 
they would have these searchlight spotlights, like these yeah. bat signals, just kind of flowing back and forth in the night sky. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, the idea was you would just say, what's that light? Yeah. I'll drive. I need to drive toward it. I got nothing else to do. I need to find <laughs> out if there's a new Aaron Ritz. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And people would do that, I guess, because they they used them. I mean, those searchlights weren't cheap to rent, I would imagine, so they must have been effective if people used them for that long. I remember those all the time when I was a kid, and uh, Flagstaff City Council said, at the very least, no more of those dumb things. They're like, yeah, it's exciting, true, but it's it's wrecking (laughs) Percival Lowell's telescope. So they actually, yeah, they, they were the first city in the country, and maybe even in the world, to pass something that protected dark skies. And that kind of set, like, the tone for the Flagstaff and Tucson area, which I can't remember if they're even remotely close to one another. Not Um, super close, no. Our good friend Blair uh, Bunting, actually, uh, I think they live in Flagstaff now. So he's probably going to send us an email disabusing me of any notion that Flagstaff and Tucson are anywhere near each other. But... The, I guess Tucson copied Flagstaff maybe and started to say, hey, we should protect our dark skies too. Yeah, I think it was just sort of in the air in Arizona. And in the early 1970s, uh, Tucson passed some laws that said, hey, all these lights that are pointing upward, let's just point those down at least. Uh, and then over the next few decades, they moved uh, for, like to different kinds of lights that were uh, a little softer on the visual spectrum, not mm-hmm. as bright. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the big problems we'll talk about later is all the blue light these days uh, from LEDs and electronics and things like Man, that. But the worst. Um, yeah, the blue light. Oh my god! Are you are you trying to get better sleep and like not looking at your phone before bed? I've got that um that night shift thing on where like from sunrise to sunset it's um or sunset to sunrise it's like a yellow it's like yellow wavelength stuff Uh like automatically it does that yeah and i don't i try to read books more at night too i think it's but it's more just like the the light bulbs those light fixtures i don't care what time of day it is they Mm -hmm. just look like you've made the decision to to do everything you can to drive yourself insane so you're you're going with the blue light leds well, you should avoid those, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have them in my house. Good for you, Chuck. I mean, no. it's one of those things where like LEDs are great because they last a long, long time. Mm-hmm. But uh, they make different kinds of LEDs now, so you don't have to have those blue light ones. So there's this group called the International Dark Sky Association. They were founded in 1988 by somebody who was part of that push in, I think, Tucson to start protecting the dark skies. They are big time into saying like, hey, guys, we need to figure out some something else, but aside from these blue wavelength LEDs that are really not good. And we'll really just stomp all over blue light LEDs whenever we get a chance later in the episode. <laughs> but the point is, is the International Dark Sky Association has been introduced now, and they are responsible for Alex Lash's favorite thing, certifying dark sky places around the world, actually. I think there's 170 of them. Yeah, like dark sky sanctuaries. Basically, uh, if you do the right thing, uh, if, if this is your goal and you do the right thing, <laughs> some people might say it's the wrong thing. Um, you can get certified uh, places in, I uh, believe, uh, Minnesota. Uh, I think there's a park in Maine, the Cotadin uh, Woods and Waters National Monument in Maine, mm-hmm. uh, Cosmic Campground in New Mexico. 
Uh, one that is, I don't think on the list, but I had a dark sky experience at Sapelo Island, Georgia, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is when I was had the very misguided notion that I was going to try and direct a little independent movie. And we, a couple of uh, friends of mine and I went down there to scout Sapelo Island, which is one of the barrier islands of Georgia that is virtually uninhabited. There's still some of the original uh, Geechee uh, people that live there, but it's like, there's no electricity. So the guy that showed us to our place was like, take your flashlights at night because there are no street lights. There are very few people and it is dark. Neat. And we got in this little golf cart to ride out to the lighthouse. And Was uh, it an original <laughs> golf cart? <laughs> it was pretty original. Uh-huh. Um, but we got out on the little road, the dirt road, and turned the lights off. And man, it was unsettlingly dark. Oh, like yeah? You, could, you literally could not see your hand in front of your face. Oh, really? I was going to ask you if your eyes acclimated to the dark so that you could see better than you thought you could. Eventually, but this is like when we first switched them off. And you just forget about just street lights and just people mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. all the light that comes in. So it was, saw the best guy there I'd seen in a long time. And um, it's just weird when you're in a place that's super dark. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine because you're not used to it. You're a city slicker. I'm a city slicker. So, um, that's pretty much brings us up to where we are now uh, in history as far as light pollution goes. It's a big old problem. There are some people at the fringes of this starting to try to get everybody else on board. And uh, we're going to kind of dive into what actually makes light pollution after a break. Let's do it. A birthday break. Ooh. Listen to this. It's a game changer. Amazon is now in healthcare. Yes, Amazon. It's called Amazon One Medical. They offer same-day appointments. And if that's not convenient enough for you, they also have 24-7 virtual care. Yeah, you know, imagine you're feeling so sick that even the thought of getting out of bed is just too much for you. With Amazon One Medical, you don't have to leave the house. Of course, what good is that if you then have to drag yourself to the pharmacy, but you don't have to do that either because of Amazon Pharmacy. It makes a lot of sense. Delivering things fast is what Amazon is known for, and that's exactly what they do here. They'll deliver your prescriptions directly to your door. No waiting in pharmacy lines with people who probably all have something worse than whatever you're there for. Again, this is a game changer. Thanks to Amazon Pharmacy and Amazon One Medical, healthcare just got less painful. Hey, friends, if you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. Like, what are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood the best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Yeah, well, now it is, everybody, on Homes.com. They've got everything you need to know about the listing itself, but even better. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. Homes.com collaboration tools make it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework.
Hey there, are you thirsty? Well, before you take a sip, have you stopped to think about what's in your water? Many conventional bottled waters contain PFAS, harmful substances known as forever chemicals. But you can drink water as clean as nature intended. Richard's rainwater collects 100% pure, refreshing drops of rain. Yes, it really is rain, everybody. This rain is caught clean before it hits the ground or becomes polluted with pesticides and contaminants commonly found in groundwater. Yep, that means no added fluoride, no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. And you can enjoy the clean taste of Richard's still rainwater and the long-lasting cold-pressured bubbles of Richard's sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And we even have a special offer, don't we, Josh? Yeah, text STUFF to 2512-928887 and you'll get $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's rainwater. Sip the sky. Looking to turbocharge your customer experience results? Take a look at Nice CX1, the world's most complete cloud-native customer experience platform. You'll achieve faster customer resolutions with intelligent self-service and streamlined agent assistance, all thanks to the scalability and flexibility of the cloud. No matter how big or how small your organization is, it's now easier than ever to create exceptional customer experiences. Visit nice.com to get started today. That's nice.com. Okay, and we're back, and it's still Chuck's birthday. Happy birthday again, Chuck. 51. It's a weird number. Yeah, but if you add them together, it equals six, and six is perfectly fine. <laughs> right, it's my daughter's age. Right. We're about All the same. comes full circle. <laughs> uh, by the way, I took her to her first pro sporting event last night. I went to a Hawks game. Oh, wow. What'd she think? Uh, it was interesting. I mean, I knew we would have to leave at like halftime just because of bedtime. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she made it through the half, got a little squirmy. But, you know, NBA games, there's a lot of extra fun stuff going on. Oh, yeah. There's Fire cannons. And, and- <laughs> yeah, they had dogs catching Frisbees and T-shirt cannons and <laughs> all that good stuff else. <laughs> yeah. Wow. On, on the court. It was great. Wow. Uh, so anyway, light pollution. I guess we should talk about the four main kinds, right? And uh, I have bigger problems with some of these than others. Yeah. So the the IDA, the International Dark Skies Association, um, has basically identified four types. The first one's glare. And that is basically like if you look up at a street light, yeah. um, the 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 that light is going to basically hurt your eyes. You're looking you're you're being hit with glare from the street light. That's right. That's a kind of light pollution. It makes sense. Um the 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 reason that that's light pollution is ideally you should have to be standing directly under the that the light fixture the street light and look up for the for that glare to happen that's just not the case you can be no. half a mile away and look at a a, a street light from the side and you're still going to get hit with that same glare that's why it's a problem that's what makes it light pollution right uh the second one is one i have a big problem with Mm-hmm. is a uh, light trespass mm-hmm. and this is when you have a neighbor or somebody that has a floodlight like pointed in your bedroom window oh, and sometimes they just keep it on um that's not the case with my current neighbor just to be clear i don't think he listens but uh <laughs> he's he's pretty good he like uh i do have the uh motion sensor floodlights that only pop on when something is moving right uh but 
be aware of the light that you cast from your home is is all I'm – that's as preachy as I'm going to get. I just realized two days ago that the old front security light, I've replaced all the rest of them with those motion detector ones. Mm-hmm. But the one I've left so far um, – the, it's it's very old, like the the on off switch is actually like rusted in place. Uh huh. It's been on all day and all night, like uh. and it sh- has been shining at my neighbor's house. Luckily, <laughs> no. Luckily, I think their bedroom is on the other side, and they're uh-huh. also they're very friendly. Um, they would say something if there was an issue. Yeah. Um, in a very friendly manner, very friendly people, <laughs> but. I just realized it. So now I ordered like a, a replacement light and yeah. I had to turn all my lights off because that one is just sitting there, sitting on. And it's crazy. And also when I think about the electricity it's wasting during oh, the yeah. day, it's like, come on. Yeah. Don't be so stupid, you stupid light. <laughs> uh, there's called clutter, which is, um, I mean, it's described in, by Livia as bright, confusing or excessive groups of lights. Yeah, I looked into that. What does confusing mean? Confusing is that um, we have something called contrast illumination that we use uh, for night vision. So a light that looks um, less bright than another light is going to be further away. Well, Mm -hmm. with artificial light, that's not necessarily the case. Uh, You could have like a a porch light that's even brighter than a street light that's further away, and it's going to confuse our eyes and mess up our night vision. Okay, that makes sense. And then also I have the impression that just having a big smattering of individual lights across a landscape at night is, is clutter as well. But I think the problem is it really messes with your night vision. Yeah, we do have a porch light, uh, to be clear. I'm not... Uh, advocating for like total darkness of your home, but we leave the porch light on at night, uh, like uh, Tom Bodette says to do, and that's it. You got a Motel Six now at your house? Uh huh. Okay. I live in the management office. It's quite nice and comfortable. Oh no, it's and great. affordable. Yeah, it's your side hustle. <laughs> uh, then you got Sky Glow, which is I think everyone kind of knows what this is. This these are just the culmination. Of city lights, and uh, if you've ever driven into Las Vegas from the desert, you see that sky glow from a long ways away. It's just sort of a big glowing dome in the distance. And that one seems to be a a problem that's not just from light pollution, but also air pollution too. Because yeah. you can you can see sky glow just fine on a cloudless night, and it's reflecting actually off of all the particles in the atmosphere. And then if there are clouds, you can see the clouds usually quite clearly. You're not supposed to be able to see clouds, but that's part of Sky Glow as well. And as we'll see, the villain of this episode, um, blue wavelength LED lights, are particularly problematic with Sky Glow because those blue wavelength, that blue wavelength light actually travels very far and can create Sky Glow hundreds of miles away from yeah. the city. When you're when you're way far away from the city, you'll still be able to see it just fine. Yeah, and Livia included this fun, you know, we're kind of talking about how you kind of just forget in the city and you get used to stuff. Mm-hmm. She included a fun little story from uh, 1994 when Los Angeles had a big power outage across the city. And people were calling in very concerned and reporting what ended up being the Milky Way galaxy in the sky. <laughs> right. Like if they thought it was a gas cloud or something? I'm not sure. Uh, just something concerning, I think. Like, hey, there's this weird-looking glow in the sky, and uh, they went, "It's fine. It's the Milky Way." <laughs> so, um, I was saying earlier that our our light um, emissions have been increasing faster than the human population. I think it's 
about it increased about six percent a year between 1947 and 2000. Uh-huh. That's a lot. That is a lot. Um, and so that's tough to keep up with, and it's also tough to get people to kind of give those up, as we'll see. But one of the things that um, that has has kind of become a, a newer problem, like artificial lights, like porch lights that get left on all night, um, that kind of thing, those have been a problem for a real long time. But one of the newer problems, Chuck, is satellites. Yeah. Uh, we talked about how many satellites there are up there flying around, and that's a problem. I think we talked a lot about that in the Space Junk episode. Uh, it's a problem for that reason, but it's a problem because they're interfering with astronomy and uh, and our night sky, aren't they? Yeah, in particular, so there's satellite streaks. Um, they used to show up in about 0.5% of satellite images or of um, astronomy images that were taken at twilight which mm-hmm. is when you can see satellites most clearly. That's also the time you can see things like comets and meteors most clearly. So in addition to being an annoyance, um, it also potentially poses a hazard because it makes it more difficult to track uh, near-Earth objects that we want to keep an eye on that may be coming toward us. Although if you've seen Don't Look Up, it wouldn't matter anyway if we identified something like that in time. Did you see that? Yeah. Was it good? Oh, yeah. You haven't seen it yet? No, the reviews were so bad that I avoided it. Really? Like, abysmally bad. I don't get that at all. uh, That I was just like, I'm not going to waste my time. Uh, And then I got nominated for Best Picture, and I was like, well, how if it's so bad? Like, I genuinely don't understand what the bad reviews were. Not only was it, like, you know, engrossing and, like, well done— and I thought Vice was terrible. I thought it was a terrible movie, so I'm not like some just Adam McKay fan. I also thought The Other Guys was one of the worst movies ever made. I think you and I walked out of the, th- the theater on that one, okay? So I've established my bona fides. I'm not some <laughs> lackey for Adam McKay. But it was a really well-done movie, and it was really entertaining, too. Uh, just looked up real quick. It's got a fit for what it's worth, a 55% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 49% on Metacritic. I don't get it. It is definitely nowhere near that bad. All right, I'll no, check it out. No, it's actually pretty good. I think you'd like it. I, I always go to the RogerEbert.com because I still trust the reviews there, and yeah. they give it 1.5 stars. Man. So seriously, Chuck, I would like you to watch this pretty okay. soon. I'll report And come back. back on another episode <laughs> and tell everybody. Don't tell me first. I really want it to uh-huh. be raw, and I yeah, want it yeah. to hurt if it's going to hurt. You know what I mean? <laughs> and just tell no, me I'll what you it. think. I'm watching his Lakers show, which is fun. Oh, is it good? Yeah, it's fun. I, I would recommend it. Okay. Well, I'll take your recommendation. You take mine. Yeah, I definitely want to see what all the, the stink is about. Uh, but you got to finish your stat, though, because you only gave us the front half. So, yeah. So, I think they showed up in half of a percent of images before. Now, they're up to something like um, 19% of images taken at twilight. And yeah, it's just from gonna, two years yeah, ago. And it's just going to keep getting worse and worse because um, we're adding more and more satellites and by we, I mean Elon Musk with Starlink. Um, apparently, I think he's got or applied for permission for 42,000 satellites for his Starlink internet um, service. 42,000 satellites. That guy's gotten weird. <laughs> um, he challenged Putin to a fight. I know. <laughs> I know, yes, that is demonstrably weird. Not yeah. just for, to a fight, a fight for, like, all the marbles over Ukraine. Like, if he beat up 
Vladimir Putin. <laughs> so weird. Putin was going to have to leave Ukraine, I guess was the thing. It is very yeah. weird. I agree. Maybe he thinks we're living in a cartoon simulation of real world. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he does. But there, so there's going to be something like 100,000 satellites in the next few years, they think, because people like Elon Musk and others are just launching, 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 and it's going to be mm-hmm. more and more problematic. Yeah, which is a problem, like you said, for tracking near-Earth objects. So uh, it's the kind of thing that people should pay attention to. Well, plus also they pose a problem for astronomy in that they use radio signals to transmit, and we use radio telescopes to pick up radio right. transmissions, and apparently the satellite people and the telescope people are not necessarily coordinating. Mm-hmm. So they're not making the satellites invi- invisible to the radio telescopes by using specific wavelengths that the radio telescopes could then tune out. So I think that's a problem in that sense as well. Yeah, here's one stat. Uh, without telescopes, just with your regular vision looking up in the sky, satellites will uh, very soon make up one in 10 visible lights in the sky. That's a lot. So those aren't stars you're seeing up there. No. So about 10% of those will be satellites. Which that's also a problem in that sense, too. Um, we might as well talk about it now. Um, one of the things that that I find very satisfying because it, it keeps coming up whenever you look into light pollution and people um, advocating about doing something about it is that there are a lot of indigenous cultures around the world mm-hmm. who um, whose heritage is predicated, at least in part, on the night sky, on celestial stuff. And not just like really bright stars like you could see at a city, but like really subtle stuff too. And it's extensive and has a, it's like a deep catalog of the, the cosmos that they use as part of like their worldview and some of their religious and spiritual views. Um, and that is being um, infringed upon just by satellites and light pollution too. Yeah, I think uh, this one... Uh it wasn't a direct quote, but Livia says that there are some scholars out there that are saying this is basically like a cultural genocide that we're seeing mm-hmm. happening to some of these cultures that rely so much on the night sky for, you know, not just navigation, but rituals. And uh, this is happening in Australia. And I think uh, indigenous Hawaiians are kind of big on trying to preserve that starlight for their culture as well. Yeah, and it's it's being prevented from being passed on from generation to generation because the same things that were there and could be for like talked about and passed on 100 years ago, you just can't see anymore in a lot yeah. of places. So I, I thought that was really interesting. It comes up a lot. And, it, you know, some, some people um, try to co-opt it to basically say like, see, see, we need to, we need to get rid of light pollution. But um, it does seem to be like genuinely included at the table now. Yeah, for people like the International Dark Skies Associations, like they're like, and this is a legitimate issue too that we need to be yeah. taking into account. Should we talk about animals? Yeah. So it's an annoyance to humans, and we're going to also talk about real like health effects on humans in a bit. But it's obviously going to interfere with animals, um, and there are many, many examples. Everything from, uh, you know, city birds thinking it's morning. And, you know, five and six hours before they're supposed to be awake uh, with their little friends in the countryside, they're up and chirping and singing their bird song uh, to animals that navigate at night, like literally depend on the night sky for their migrations and it confusing or completely throwing off base their migration patterns uh, to where, you know, they lose their way, they get lost, they could possibly even die. 
Yeah, and it's, I mean, I guess just cities having a lot of light tends to attract migrating birds in particular so that you see bird strikes, um, which usually results in the death of a bird, really increase a couple of times a year when they're migrating one way and then when they're migrating back the other way at a different part of the year. Um, and I, I came up with a, uh, a website, Chuck, that I thought was really interesting. It's called birdcast.info. You came up with it, meaning you designed it yourself? Just this very morning. Okay. It's pretty That's good, amazing. considering <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm doing, and I did it in a couple of hours. Hey, thanks to Squarespace. Right. Uh, I really shouldn't take credit for somebody else's work. No, it's not my website. But no. they have migration forecasts, like maps. And you can type in your town, and it will it will show you, like, the next few days of what what the expected bird migrations are going to be, like, um, like numbers-wise, basically. And uh, you can actually adjust your outdoor lighting at night to, to help those birds because they are attracted to light. They're normally diurnal, meaning that they're active in the daytime, those birds that are migrating, but they choose to migrate at night, which means they're not pros at navigating at night necessarily. Um, So they can be easily thrown off, of course, by being attracted to like a city with a bunch of bright lights. And then even worse than that, they frequently will dive bomb into windows with a lot of light for reasons I'm not entirely clear on. Yeah, to the tune of, you know, and everyone's like, sure, that happens every now and then. Hmm. There are about a billion birds a year that die from running into glass. Mm -hmm. A billion. In the U.S. alone. Yeah, and we have lost um, 30, almost 30. We've lost 29% of our birds since the 1970s, like a net loss Mm -hmm. overall. Not just from from running into buildings, but that's a big chunk of it is, is bird strikes into buildings. Yeah, so a lot of cities are, uh, I think Chicago started back in the late 90s, started with these lights out programs Mm -hmm. where, you know, they basically say, hey, if you live in a, or, you know, have a high rise office building, you turn that stuff off at night, or you close the blinds, or do both, or move to only task lighting, or at the very least, turn off decorative lighting at night. And a lot of companies and buildings have gotten on board with this kind of thing, thankfully. Yeah, the guys who walk around with the huge ring of keys, they're Uh getting on board with that kind of thing. (laughs) Oh, they like it dark. Something I didn't realize, Chuck, but that I find kind of awesome is that there are a lot of insect species that, that pollinate and visit flowering plants at night. When you're asleep, like they're doing their thing. Did not realize that. Same But it turns out that those insects can be greatly impacted by artificial light. Um, And so uh, that apparently in turn has a deep impact on the um, near-Earth object callback, has a deep impact (laughs) on the pollination of of flowering plants. And they did a study in the Bernese Prealps, beautiful name, and it's typically dark there. So what they did was they 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 surveyed how many insects um, arrived under normal conditions, right? Yeah, I think they worked with about three hundred species of insect uh, that do their business at night, uh, and I think sixty plants. And they found that when they turned on these uh, LED streetlights, yeah, that uh, near these meadows, that the pollinator visits dropped sixty-two percent. Wow. And that was a 13, and people are like, oh, you know, but what's the big deal? They can just do it during the day. It led to an overall 13% drop in fruit production. Mm-hmm. So, 
you know, the trickle-down effect that this has, we talk about this kind of thing all the time in ecosystems. It's no different for nighttime pollinators. Like, if you like to eat your fruit and have abundant, you know, fruits and vegetables, this is one thing that's disrupting that. And it can also uh, impact the plants directly, too. Like, light can trick them into thinking that the, the days are not getting shorter, even though they are. So they're getting um, artificial feedback, um, and they're keeping their leaves longer. There's some types of cacti and palms, I think, that have been shown to um, not flower at all when they're exposed to artificial light at night, which I don't think we've said that. That's the um, that's kind of like the, the, the in-group term for light pollution, artificial light at night, or Allen. Yeah. Allen. Poor Allen. Yeah. Sorry, all the Allens listening. We're not picking on you from this point. Yeah, on. and Karens. <laughs> sure. That stinks. Someone's name's been co-opted. Yeah, for now. I, I think that's fading. It'll, you know, it'll pass. It, it, it's it? already out, I think. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like, Is if it? you're still saying that now, it's... Uh... You may be a Karen. <laughs> uh, what about those poor little sea turtles? Yeah. So, one of the things that sea turtles use to get to... Um, the the safety of the ocean after they hatch on the beach is light. Like, they go toward the brightest light that they see. And normally, under normal circumstances, that's the sun, or not the sun, but the moon mm-hmm. uh, reflecting off of the water kind of guides it's, them. There. It can be very, very bright. And I found out recently, it had been a while since I guess I'd seen the moonlight, like a full moon over the ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we went to Amelia Island after Disney World, I had a night like that on the beach where... Oh, it was like daylight out there. Yeah. Remember it's that amazing great, that great shot? It had to have been, yeah, of course it was just made up, but it was a, a great looking shot in Joe versus the Volcano. And <sighs> he's out there in the middle of the ocean on that steamer trunk and yes. that moon just rises over him. Man, I forgot how so big great. it was. What a great movie that was. Yeah. We haven't talked about that one in a while. Yeah. One of the best. Um, so... What did that have to do with? Oh, yeah, oh, the, well, sea the sea turtles. Yeah, yeah, that's why they tell you to not use your flashlights on the beach during sea turtle season. Yeah, because that light confuses them. Yes, and if you have a beach house, typically you're asked to keep your outside lights turned off and even inside right. lights turned off so that you don't accidentally attract the hatchlings. Because when they move away from the water, where they're relatively safer, um, they sometimes walk right into the jaws of wily coyote. Right, and I imagine beach house people uh, comply because I think they probably love their sea turtles and uh, they try to be uh, generally good stewards of their their area. Yeah, if there's anything people who own beach houses are known for, it's compliance. (laughs) (laughs) Should we take a break? Sure. All right, we'll be right back. Listen to this. It's a game changer. Amazon is now in healthcare. Yes, Amazon. It's called Amazon One Medical. They offer same-day appointments. And if that's not convenient enough for you, they also have 24-7 virtual care. Yeah, you know, imagine you're feeling so sick that even the thought of getting out of bed is just too much for you. With Amazon One Medical, you don't have to leave the house. Of course, what good is that if you then have to drag yourself to the pharmacy, but you don't have to do that either because of Amazon Pharmacy. It makes a lot of sense. Delivering things fast is what Amazon is known for, and that's exactly what they do here. They'll deliver your prescriptions directly to your door. 
No waiting in pharmacy lines with people who probably all have something worse than whatever you're there for. Again, this is a game changer. Thanks to Amazon Pharmacy and Amazon One Medical, healthcare just got less painful. Hey friends, if you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. Like, what are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood the best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Yeah, well, now it is, everybody, on Homes.com. They've got everything you need to know about the listing itself, but even better. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. Homes.com collaboration tools make it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Hey there, are you thirsty? Well, before you take a sip, have you stopped to think about what's in your water? Many conventional bottled waters contain PFAS, harmful substances known as forever chemicals. But you can drink water as clean as nature intended. Richard's rainwater collects 100% pure, refreshing drops of rain. Yes, it really is rain, everybody. This rain is caught clean before it hits the ground or becomes polluted with pesticides and contaminants commonly found in groundwater. Yep, that means no added fluoride, no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. And you can enjoy the clean taste of Richard's still rainwater and the long-lasting cold-pressured bubbles of Richard's sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And we even have a special offer, don't we, Josh? Yeah, text STUFF to 2512-928887 and you'll get $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's rainwater. Sip the sky. Are you ready to revolutionize your customer experience? Then look no further than NICE, the global leader in cloud CX software for self-service and agent-assisted customer interactions. That's right. Imagine achieving lightning-fast customer resolutions, all thanks to the power, the unlimited scalability, and flexibility of one complete cloud CX solution. Yep, with NICE's cutting-edge CX1 platform, you can join thousands of organizations around the globe who are already transforming customer experience in the cloud. That's a pretty good company. Yeah, but NICE is more than just a robust cloud CX platform. Its dedication to continuous innovation ensures that you're going to stay ahead of the competition. Get started by visiting NICE.com. Explore the world's most complete cloud-native customer experience platform, CX1. Just visit NICE.com. NICE, cloud-powered CX at scale. <laughs> okay, so now we've reached the point where a lot of the humanists can start to get on board to this because artificial light at night, aka light pollution, has terrible effects on human beings as well. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, some of the stuff is just getting worse sleep and what that does to your body as far as anxiety and stress and, mm -hmm. you know, headaches and migraines and things like that. But I know you dug up some interesting stuff on cancer even, right? Yes, so it that blue wavelength LED light Boo. has been linked to something called global DNA methylation. And methylation, do you remember way back in our episode on can your grandfather's 
diet, diet change influence your, you. like yeah something uh-huh. <laughs> or, and it was it was about epigenetics yeah well, DNA methylation is how epigenetics happens. It's where a methyl group is put onto a gene to turn it on or off. And what they found is that this is a huge uh, trigger for things like diabetes, or type 2 diabetes, I should say, cancer, specifically breast cancer as far as light's concerned, and that this DNA methylation can be triggered in turn by exposure to artificial blue wavelength light at night. It messes with our circadian rhythm, and that's yeah. one of the ways our bodies respond to it. So, it is not an exaggeration to say that being exposed to blue wavelength light at night can can trigger cancer in your body or potentially type 2 diabetes or a whole host of chronic conditions. Yeah, I mean, it's such a problem that the AMA, uh, I think in 2016, officially like issued guidance on limiting the impact of LED, or, uh, LED outdoor lighting systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, when the AMA is like officially weighing in on something, that means it's got sufficient evidence to do so. It's not... It's not saying, eh, this is sort of an annoyance to your neighbors. It's saying this is legitimately impacting the health of people. Yeah, and it's definitely been linked to breast cancer at least. But um, from what I was reading, the the fact that it, it's been now shown to trigger DNA methylation um, suggests that it, there's a whole bunch of other terrible things that could happen as a result. So steer clear. Seriously, if you have an iPhone, just go into your settings. I think it's, um, oh, what's it called, Chuck? It's like nighttime or something like that. Um, Sweet, sweepy time. It's in your display <laughs> settings or some where you'll find like brightness and all that. And yeah. um, it's like night night shift, I think, or something like that. And just turn that on. Just do sunset to sunrise, and you night, will night shift. Night shift. Thank you. Yep. Um, and you will uh, you will you'll be much the better for it. And I think there's apps also you can add onto your Android phone too. You don't have to have an iPhone. And uh, you can probably do the same thing to your computer as well. Yeah, night shift. I had mine on. I didn't even realize it. Good for you, Jack. (laughs) Uh, So, and I love how Livia put this. uh, The the good news about fighting light pollution, she says, is there's a lot of low-hanging fruit. Yeah. It really is kind of that easy. Um, There are so many things that individuals can do on their own properties. Uh, The IDA estimates that 30% of outdoor lighting in the U.S. is wasted. So, a lo- you know, a lot of this lighting that people have isn't even doing the thing that it's supposed to be doing if 30% of it is wasted. Uh, and it's a financial loss, too, uh, about $3.3 billion annually and 21 million tons of uh, CO2 emissions. And this is just from wasted light, not from just having lights. Right, exactly. So like I was saying before, like it, it goes hand in hand talking about light pollution and mitigating it. it goes hand in hand with um, keeping people from wasting electricity too. And some of that low-hanging fruit, like this is stuff you can do on an individual basis. And then if you really get into this and you really want to make a difference, um, you can like teach yourself and arm yourself through um, through kind of outreach that the IDA has to go educate your city and get your city to put in different kinds of streetlights that um, that shield from light pollution, so that you do have to like go stand underneath it to 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 get that glare, um, and so there isn't light trespass and, and there's less sky glow. Um, there's a lot of things that you can do. There's a lot of things you could do on the local level, um, but one of the big ones is just like stop and think. Like, do I really need 
light in this area? Like, does there need to be some some blaring, like, blue LED streetlight on my shed that I don't even have anything in? Is it really, mm-hmm. like, needed? And that raises a big question, Chuck. Like, a lot of people are saying, like, well, what about crime? That's why we light the night is is to yeah. to prevent crime. And uh, uh, there's plenty of studies that say, yeah, if you add some artificial light, it'll reduce crime. But there's apparently an equal amount of studies that say, actually, not only does that not have an impact on lowering crime, in some cases, it actually increases some kinds of crime. Like if you want to make sure that your the side of your school building is um, really well lit for graffiti artists at night, you should make sure that you have all sorts of artificial lighting. Um, you can, you, some studies make the case that uh, you are more, it's easier to size up a person for whether they're mm-hmm. a target um, by a criminal when in a really well-lit place and vice versa. Um, in the dark, your eyes are more acclimated to seeing things in the dark like a criminal who might be waiting up ahead for you. Yeah, like, I mean, think about it. If you're on a really well-lit pathway, uh, the the nearby shadows are really really dark, and that's where these people could be. You know, not to be too you know fear mongering. Sure, but but that's where they're laying in wait for you. Right, <laughs> but that's true. Like big light creates big shadow and darkness nearby, and you know when they do studies, they do show that is re- uh, reduction in crime. But when you look at like the overall number, like it reduces crime at night, but the overall number of crimes is a much less percentage. I think 30% reduction at night in a place like New York. Uh, whereas if you take a whole day, it's about 4% overall, mm-hmm. which means most of the crimes are committed during the day. You think of nighttime as being more scary, but more crime is committed during the day. Right. And also when you're considering w- whether you need a light or not, a, one that I saw, Chuck, was um, uh, like, do you need to leave your like back porch light on? And normally right. when you leave a light on, it's to do two things. It's to deter somebody. But in that case, you might actually be making it easier for the, the criminal to see their way into breaking into your house. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then secondly, the other reason you would do it is to, is to expose those people to provide witnesses. Well, who's watching the back of your house at night? Probably no one. And in fact, if you don't have that light there, you may force the criminal to use a flashlight, which is going to be even more suspicious than somebody standing at your back door. Or you might use a motion detection light, which is mm-hmm. from what I've seen the optimal thing to do if you're worried about security but also concerned about light pollution. Yeah, because then they walk back there in the dark and then boom, hit them with the spotlight. Mm-hmm. And if you, you know, if you have the security cameras at your house, those things work really well in the dark these days. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, so if security is your issue, there are ways to get around that that that's not like lighting up your house like a prison yard. Right. What else? That's all I have to say. That's it? <laughs> I got nothing else. I don't think I do either, actually. So that's it for Artificial Light at Night, Alan, a.k.a. Light Pollution. Hopefully this has opened your eyes a little bit to it, but not so much that you're blinded by the glare, you know? Right. Uh, And since we front-loaded listener mail, we'll just use this and uh, say spread the word about stuff you should know here in year uh, 14? Yeah. Yeah, basically. Yes. Not just basically, Yes. Like next month, we'll be in year 14, and uh, 
We don't talk a lot about trying to grow the show, which we should probably do more. So tell a friend, tell a neighbor, tell a colleague about stuff you should know and introduce them to the podcast. And it really helps us continue to do what we do. Yeah. And not just the podcast, Chuck. We have a book, a New York Times bestseller. We do, in fact. We have a Trivial Pursuit game. That's right. That'll hopefully be on store shelves again soon. Uh, yeah. And what else? We sell tufts of our hair. Uh, sure. I got a lot of hair right now. I can <laughs> I can send out tufts. Oh, we can make some money with that. You got to cut me in, okay? All right. Well, if you want to get in touch with us and try to purchase some of Chuck's hair, you can email me at stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island. It becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Looking to turbocharge your customer experience results? Take a look at Nice CX-1, the world's most complete cloud-native customer experience platform. You'll achieve faster customer resolutions with intelligent self-service and streamlined agent assistance, all thanks to the scalability and flexibility of the cloud. No matter how big or how small your organization is, it's now easier than ever to create exceptional customer experiences. Visit Nice.com to get started today. That's Nice.com.